listening to the Colorado Springs Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by the Envision Advisors at Your Castle Real Estate. Welcome back to another episode. Chris Lopez here. And today, Jenny has prepared the Getting Started Guide to Single Family Rental Properties in Colorado Springs. So, Jenny, I'm excited to dive into this because, as you know, we get lots of people that want to start investing in real estate, investing in the Springs market. And this is going to be a great Getting Started Guide to help people go out there and and understand the high-level market trends and understanding how they need to evaluate uh, properties in Colorado Springs, because a lot of these rules that people find off of bigger pockets and Google and the 50% rule, the the the, the you know the two uh, the two percent rule, all this stuff sounds really good, but it doesn't work in the Springs market. So you're going to educate us. So glad to have you on the show. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. I'm I'm really excited to just show everyone the the current market conditions in Colorado Springs pertaining to single family homes and go through a couple of case studies and just kind of explain what that means to an investor. And before as you start uh, before you start going through your journey, I think a lot of people don't know who you are, but uh, some people will be the first time introduc- you know being introduced to you. So Jenny's been investing for a number of years done some out-of-state stuff. Now she's solely focused on the Springs market. She has a handful of rentals in the Springs market, lots of the single family, has done all sorts of creative deal structuring, deal sourcing. Uh, and now she's a CPA turned full-time investor and full-time investor-friendly realtor. So the CPA background makes sure she knows the numbers. So let's jump into it. All right. So just to kind of give everyone some background as to what this presentation is going to encompass is that we're going to look at single family rentals. So we want to also make sure that that um, contains condos, townhomes, and then of course, detached single family homes. Um, We're going to lump them all together for the purpose of this presentation. Um, And then just discuss the current market for single family rentals and what it means to buy and hold investors. And before we jump on, this is single family rentals, either the podcast after this or very soon one after this, there'll be a getting started guide to multifamily investing as well. So be on the lookout for that. Exactly. So a common question that um, I get asked quite, quite frequently is, what has a better appreciation rate historically for Colorado Springs? Detached single family homes or townhomes, condos? And I always like to say that at this point, this is where it's all relative. So for example, from September, 2019 to September, 2020, detached single family homes experienced an 18.8% growth in median sales price, whereas condos and townhomes experienced a 14.1% growth in median sales price. So Obviously, you know, just comparing the two numbers, single family homes are appreciating at a little bit of a faster rate, but both are doing extremely well, um, far surpassing historical national averages in that case. And do you sure. know what the long term average is for the Springs market on for condos and single family? Um, I want to say I saw a chart from your castle not too long ago that was about 5%, I believe. Okay. Cause I just know don't, like, don't quote me on it. <laughs> yeah. I'm just curious. Like we will, we'll find out or ask us, you know, listeners, because I know in Denver, we're at like a 6.2% for detached over 40 years and like a 5.9% for condos. 
a slight difference, but over, you know, 30, 40 years, either one of those returns I'd be happy with. Exactly. Same here. And even with these condos and single family homes, you have like, cool, if you're making this in depreciation, you know, cry me a river if you're getting that for condos right now. I got a shoulder for you to cry on, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, So I think this just kind of is, is a really good indication of where things kind of fall on that spectrum. Um, and then currently, as of the time of this recording, which is uh, November 2020, um, there's still a, quote, unhealthy months of inventory for both condos, townhomes, single-family homes, because both uh, sets have less than one month of inventory, which um, just means that there's a pretty severe shortage out there. And we're going to keep it light on the uh, trends here and data points mm-hmm. because every single month, Jenny does a market update to go to a deep dive. So make sure you check that on the, on the podcast or the blog post. That goes to a much more deep dive in the numbers on a more up-to-date basis as well. Yeah. And I think just kind of the final takeaway for at least as of you know this point in time, I think that because there's such a, a um, low supply that generally there's going to be an upward push on sales price for months to come until inventory levels kind of uh, level out with the demand. So I think that it's probably safe to say that the the home values will keep increasing for at least the time being. So this next chart for, for those of you that are uh, not, you know, looking at the YouTube video, your castle comes out with a um, home price change map which is pretty interesting. Um, Chris, you probably have more experience with this. Do you know exactly how long or how they uh, derive this data? Um, I don't know the specifics, but I know, you know, they've got quite a few uh, maps they publish for both like Denver and the Springs market. Um, And so you guys definitely can check the show notes for the map on here or email us. But I know from a high level that, you know, they were pulling a lot of data for this, the price change map, you know, from, you know, public records and MLS data. And they only do it if they have, uh, you know, neighborhoods that have a hundred properties or more to have a big enough sample size. If they don't have that, they generally can't publish that because hundred properties is the sample size we're looking forward to pull out this data. Awesome. Yeah. So I think that what is interesting as I was looking at this map uh, not too long ago is that. Um, the way that they that they frame this map is that the green areas indicated the greatest price increase during the quarter in which they are, are reflecting, and red and orange has the lowest growth. And just broadly speaking, the green areas also seem to be the best rental opportunities. Um, as I was looking through everything, all of my rentals that that we own just happen to be located in a light green section. Um, and we have seen a lot of growth in, in price on our rental properties over the last couple of years. Um, and I'm not sure why it just happens to be this way, but if I had to guess, it's because those locations haven't seen um, an increase in price at the same pace as some of the red and orange areas. So we're still kind of cresting on that median or above median price for those green areas. So I think that there's still opportunity to purchase rental properties um, at a, at a cash flow rate over, over there. And you, you've mentioned a few colors here. So the way this map is done, it's broken down by, I think neighborhoods is probably the best 
upward or neighborhoods or parts of town. Um, and so they've got it colored scaled. So there's red, orange, yellow, light green, and a darker green. So think of like a stoplight. Red is going to be like the the zero to very low appreciation. And then orange is a little bit better. Yellow is a little bit better. And then you get into greens, you're having a higher appreciation rate. So it's color-coded. So you can see, hey, this neighborhood is seeing this type of appreciation in context of other ones. So it's a really interesting chart to, or I'm sorry, interesting map to look at. So I think it's also important if we're looking at single family rental properties, I think it's really important to understand the vacancy rates that are associated with them um, because vacancy will absolutely kill your cash flow. So I think that it's really good to kind of go in with the understanding of, of what we should expect um, just based on the current economy. And there's a really interesting article that came out a few months ago, and it mentioned that the overall vacancy rates for apartments in Colorado Springs is 4.5%. And buildings with more units, so the 9 to 50 unit uh, level, had the highest vacancy rates at almost 6%. But buildings with 0 to 8 units had the lowest vacancy rate of 0%. <laughs> so that's astronomical to me that um so if we're talking about single family homes that would be a you know a, a one unit uh building right there and so they're they're projecting a vacancy rate of zero percent for a single family home <laughs> um that's that's really really good and just anecdotally i think that it is in line with my personal portfolio i only own single family properties and my tenants either choose to renew with us or if they do intend on leaving and vacating, we will market the property and, and get someone in there within a day or two. So I think it's probably safe to say that we have an extremely low vacancy rate on our, on our single family properties. And then going into some of the, the other underwriting attributes, um, I think that it's really important to, to take a look at everything holistically before you go in and, and purchase a single-family rental. And some of the, you know, I'm sure you guys have heard from, from Chris's podcast up in Denver that the 1% rule, the 2% rule, you're really not going to find that. Um, in this area, I think the same holds true for Colorado Springs. You're very, very rarely going to find a 1% property. What are those rules for people that aren't familiar with those, Jenny? So 1% rule indicates that your rent will be 1% of the purchase price, meaning if, if you bought a property for $100,000, it would rent for $1,000 a month. So that is pretty rare these days to find to find anything that meets that rule and i think that going into it with that understanding makes things a little bit more palatable for people yeah and i i want to jump in here and talk about this because i i get this question a lot and i'm sure you do as well Jenny, as i get people that are you know they're they're in the early stages of trying to figure out how to buy a rental property and i've had this kind of like well you know i've analyzed you know dozens or hundreds of properties but I can't find anything that meets the 1% rule. Like, you know, the, the market is overpriced. These numbers don't make sense. Like, why would people buy the property? So, you know, what's going on here? That's, you know, the 1% rule is some rule that someone made up somewhere. And then you're trying to apply that rule to the Denver market. 
and you're taking a very generic rule and then applying to the overall real estate market, which doesn't make sense. Keep in mind, the majority of people buying single family homes are not investors, they're not landlords, they're not house hackers. They are people that just want to, you know, hey, buy a place for their family, for their kids, go to a good school district, a backyard for the dogs, and and a reasonable commute to their job. And so they don't care about the one percent rule. They don't care about this. They consider they care about all these other factors that don't translate into here. So you know, take these rules you hear with a big grain of salt, but realize that. The driving factor of the you know single family market is not investors. They are traditional owner occupants, and they don't care about investor rules. That's a really good point, and I think that what I've been observing in Colorado Springs is that a lot of times, if we lose out to uh, on on offering on a single family home, it's generally due to a homeowner who, like you said, doesn't really care so much about the numbers. If their mortgage payment goes up fifteen dollars a month because they paid more for the property, they don't really care, um, and that's totally valid. But just to kind of give you context for the market currently, I think that's a really good good point. Um, and another another rule that you'll typically hear about is the fifty percent rule, which indicates that 50% of your income will go towards property operating costs, uh, excluding mortgage payments. And um, historically, over the past couple of years, I have been seeing about one-third, uh, or I guess 30% rule on, on my property. So 30% of our rent collected is going towards our operating expenses. So I think it's kind of important to note that. And again, just to talk about this, because again, this is another very common question, and I've noticed a rule that gets a lot of people, like, hit a mental roadblock on here, is that, hey, if you're buying some of these houses that maybe do meet the 1% rule, which is going to be usually a lower-priced area, you know, parts of the Midwest, um, well, great. If their rent's $800 in Iowa, and we have similar rents to 1500 rents in the Springs for a, a two-bedroom place, let's say, and both water heaters go out, Replacing the water heater in, in in the springs is not that much more expensive than replacing a water heater in Iowa. Now, labor might be a little bit more, but it's not going to be safely more where, hey, our rents are almost double. It doesn't mean that our cost to replace water is going to be double. It'll be a little bit higher, typically speaking, just because of cost of living and labor. But a water heater is a water heater at Home Depot, wherever you got. And so a lot of those expenses... They're going to be about the same, you know, a roof, a water, all that stuff costs about the same in either market. But the difference here is we have higher rents as well. So you have to really put this in the context as to well, as far as like using some of these rules. And then Janine's going to walk us through some rules of thumb here that she uses under right properties. And as she uh, goes through them, always know you can check the website to actually look at these numbers and copy and paste them to your spreadsheets. Yeah, so I think that it's it's important that we kind of go through some of the costs that you don't necessarily think about uh, when you when you go into purchasing a property. It's you know most people think you have your rents and then you have your mortgage, which consists of your principal and interest payments. And sometimes you consider your insurance and taxes, but there's a lot of costs that we need to um, budget for, even if we're not going to see them immediately. So. The first one is vacancy. And um, as I've mentioned before, that is such a, a profit killer right there. And that's when you are waiting to fill your rental unit. 
So we think that 5% is a pretty good rule of thumb in this area. I think that's a pretty conservative number. As I mentioned in the previous, uh, our previous point that um, vacancy, effective vacancy for single family homes can be much lower. So I think that 5%, that gives you about half a month. Um, I think that's a very good uh, rule of thumb to to put in for your, your consideration for vacancy. And then going into property management, even if you're going to self-manage, I think that it's important to underwrite using the assumption that you will hire a property manager. It might not be today. It might you know, be a few years from now before you want to utilize a property manager. But I think that it's important to, to put that in as a buffer. And we like to use 8 to 10%. Even though most property managers charge less than that, there will be additional fees either yearly or during lease renewal timeframe where you might have to pay uh, a flat fee or a percentage of your rent. So I think that it's, you know, that extra buffer will account for all of your um, property management fees within, within a year. And then going into repairs and reserves, we use a rule of thumb of 5% for condos, townhomes, and then 8 to 10% for detached homes. And the reason being is that for condos and townhomes with HOAs, even though you are paying an extra expense to, to pay for the HOA, uh, they are likely going to be taking care of the exterior of the home. So the roof, the siding, sometimes the windows, it all depends on how the HOA is, is written. But you can assume that you won't have an unexpected expense in that regard. Um, special assessments excluded <laughs> for purposes of this. Um, and then a detached home, 8 to 10%. Really, that's because you're going to have to take care of the yard, all the exterior items, um, things that you wouldn't sometimes have to take care of for a condo townhome. And then lastly, more of the hard expenses, uh, the ones that you can actually see uh, coming up each each year is insurance and taxes. Taxes, that is something that you can just retrieve from the county assessor website. And then for insurance, we tend to budget three to $500 for condos and townhomes, 800 to 1200 for detached homes. Um, we just closed on a townhome for one of our buyers and their insurance was actually two fifty a year, so it's definitely affordable, um, but still important to to budget. So I just wanted to kind of go into um, an example of condos, townhomes, and single family case studies of actual properties that we found on the market um, pretty recently. So. First, going into it is condo. We'll start um, least expensive and, and head up to most expensive, and, and then we'll summarize um, afterwards just kind of the attributes at a higher level. And Jenny, before you ju- start jumping the numbers here, a couple things I want to point out for a lot of people listening to this is we are using Joe Massey's rental spreadsheet, uh, which we you know email us or go on the website, you can download it for free to use. And also, we're going to run through these numbers. Click the link in the show notes, and all these screenshots numbers will also be on the blog post as well. 
Great. So we'll just run through these. We won't, we won't uh, inundate you with all the numbers just because this is just a snapshot at this point in time. Um, but for this example property, it's a one bed, one bath, one carport condo, and it's located in the Southeast part, part of the city. And quite honestly, this is one of the lowest price properties in a while that I have seen. Um, so I think that this is probably a good, um, good example to run through. It's priced at $102,500. And we, you know, we budgeted in for acquisition costs, loan costs. It, it needed some TLC. So we, we budgeted in for a little bit of initial repair costs. Um, after discussing it with a property manager, we were thinking about $950 a month in rent. And then going through um, some of the other items, it has $185 a month HOA. And taxes are $320 a year. And we just estimated $400 a year for a property insurance. But I think that is probably a little high. And then, of course, we used pretty standard um, factors for vacancy, rent increase, appreciation. Um, and then, of course, we plugged in for property management. Um, this one does have a higher reserves percentage. We, we put that at 8% just because uh, just visually looking at the unit, um, it looked a little bit older. So I just wanted to be on the safe side. Instead of using the standard 5%, I put in 8% for this particular property. I was actually just about to ask that. So I'm glad you said that. Yep. <laughs> and this is one of the things that like you have to use the context on there's depending on the condition of the property, the age of it, you're going to want to change around the monthly reserves or plan for more initial repairs up front to help, you know, get some things up up to par as well. Exactly. And then of course if if we were to go under contract on this, we would do a deeper dive and we adjust it after having gone through the property in detail and um sort of refine our numbers on that, but just a cursory review. So that would come to um, an annual cash flow after paying your mortgage of about $1,800 a year, which is a 5.8 cash on cash and a 5.9 cap rate. So it's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, that's really good. Opinion. So your cash flow is close to $2,000 a year with very conservative underwriting. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, close to six cap in the current market is really good. And that's really good cash flow as well. So not bad for all in the void, about $30,000 for down mm -hmm, payment, exactly. closing costs, all the other fees. Exactly. Yeah. And so, oh, sorry, go back once on this slide. So um, showing the, you know, the looking at the price divided by rent here. So we just talked about that 1% rule. And so, mm -hmm. you know, in Joe's spreadsheet, we have the GRM, which is the inverse of the 1% rule. But hey, the purchase price is 103 $103,500 divided by $950. you are not too far off on the 1% rule here. And what we're seeing in the, in the springs market is that you're going to be closer to that rule with condos. But here's where you mm -hmm. have to take these rules with, with a grain of salt in here is that then we've got the monthly HOA, which does impact your cash flow, but you can't look at a you know the 1% rule on a house compared to 1% rule of the condo because the HOA is going to be a wild card on there what's going to impact the actual amount of cash flow you have. So just another nuanced point there as to why we're not fans of those some of those uh, rules of thumb. Exactly. So then going into um, the townhome example that I picked out, 
This one was for sale for, oh, let me back up. It was a three bed, two bath, one car garage townhome, and it had no HOA. It was located near Fort Carson and it was built in mid 1980s. So relatively newer uh, compared to some of the properties that we've been looking at. So just to kind of run through the numbers real quick on this, uh, purchase price was 230000 We plugged in for acquisition, loan costs, initial repair costs. Again, it needed some a uh, little bit of touch-ups and everything. Um, but this one would actually rent for close to $1,500 a month because of the um, characteristics of the home, three bed, two bath, one car garage. That's very desirable. Also being close to Fort Carson, that's also, you know, pretty high demand rent area. So I think that $1,500 a month is, is pretty reasonable. And then of course we plug in for vacancy, rent, rent increase, appreciation, um, property management, and then monthly reserves are at 8% again, even though we mentioned 5% is typically a rule of thumb for townhomes and condos. This one does not have an HOA. So I'm treating it as if it were a single family home in this regard. So um, just to kind of give you context on that. And then real estate taxes and insurance, we put 800 each per year um, for, for those factors. Okay. And so we're looking at about $2,400 a year in annual cash flow, which gives us about a 4.2% cash on cash return, a 5.4% cap rate. So again, pretty, pretty decent, I think, for a relatively turnkey property. Oh, no, I think, I mean, you know, those are very good numbers in, you know, the current market that we have, which is the very low inventory, and we're in the seller's market, so... Cash flow positive property, really good numbers, conserve underwriting. This is good all day long. Mm -hmm. So then we go into a single family detached property. And uh, this is in one of my uh, favorite areas for rental properties. It's a two bed, one bath, one carport, single family home, no HOA. And for those of you that are familiar with the areas, it's in Stratton Meadows neighborhood. And this one was listed for $220,000. Uh, we're budgeting for acquisition costs, loan costs. This one was turnkey, so I didn't budget for initial repair costs. And uh, this could rent for $1,300 a month, and that's just based on one of my rental properties with similar attributes to this one. And cross-budgeting for vacancy again, property management, 8% for reserves and there's no HOA. And one of the interesting points of this one is that the real estate taxes for, or the annual taxes for this property is only $650 a year, um, which is really low in my opinion for a single family home. And I'm budgeting $700 a year in insurance. So we're only looking at about $1,200 a year annual cash flow which is a 2.1% cash on cash return, but a five cap. So it's just a trade-off at that point um, regarding what type of property you're looking for. But I think they all have their own pros and cons as well. So it's just kind of personal preference, what you're willing to, to go with. Yeah. And I think, you know, kind of the numbers you went through, obviously every property doesn't have slightly different numbers, but the overall trends where, you know, a slightly better cash flow in a condo is, you know, what we're seeing, 
and you get into more of the detached homes, they're usually more of a, a lower cap rate or lower cash flow. And that's just, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's the market like, hey, the market says, hey, here's what we're doing. And we are just reporting what the market does and trying to give you the best case, the numbers. And so something very interesting as well that you can play around with these numbers, two things I'll point out as I was looking at your, you know, the way you put in the spreadsheets, Jenny. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, so, you know, just so you guys know, like off podcast, I often just go off very nuanced tangents into interesting topics. Um, but two things as you underwrite properties and look to maximize leverage and buy these is, you know, in the current in, in current time right now, play around with interest rates. Jenny put in there at 3.75% interest rate, which is conservative. And I think for a lot of people, we're actually getting lower interest rates right now. The last place I bought, I got at 3.25 for an investment property. Do you have your interest rate locked in yet for your new build you're buying, Jenny? I do not. Okay. So, so you, you don't I'm have your sure quote yet on there. Yeah. So we'll, we'll <laughs> no. know in a few weeks, I think. Um, the other yeah. thing is, um, you know, with, you know, you're generally not speaking with condos, but with townhomes and homes, you know, detached homes, um, you can put down 15%. Uh, and mm-hmm. hey, they have their, their pros and cons. You're going to pay a little bit of mortgage insurance on there. Uh, but Jenny, one of your clients who just, I think they purchased a townhome. I happened to be in the office when they were meeting with the lender. And so I popped in for a bit while they're comparing their options. And it was actually with Joe Massey. He presented a 15%, a 20%, and a 25% down payment options. And this is what we do after in our contract here is you actually meet with the lender and get all the different options on there. And they end up going to 15% down payment because it was still cash flowing nicely, but they keep more cash in the pocket. And the difference in cash flow per month based on a slightly higher interest rate and a couple bucks a month in mortgage insurance made complete sense for them to go with 15%. So understand, I'm giving you very high level numbers on here because as you learn this stuff, there's a lot more levers you can pull and a lot more stuff just looking at cash flow and cap rate and the 1% rule. It really becomes a nuanced thing. And that's... That's the art of this, and that's the game that we love playing with clients as well. So just kind of giving some people some different ways to analyze, you know, think about analyzing properties as well. Yeah, I love it. I I think those are great points. Like you said, go in, just kind of make a bread and butter assumption. And then if we end up, you know, being able to either have additional interest in that property or pursuing it. I love maximizing the efficiency of, of a property and playing around with um, the rates and, and the down payments and all that good stuff like you just said. So I think that's kind of kind of a fun way of looking at, at different properties. And then, so just kind of going through everything that we just went over. Uh, I have a a little chart here that I developed that just summarizes the condo, the townhome, and the single-family detached. has purchase price, cash on cash, cash flow before taxes, cap rate, and NOI. And I think just, you know, I'm I'm not going to read the numbers off to everyone and and bore everyone, but um, just kind of looking at the cash on cash, as you can see, the condo is the highest, going down to single-family rental. Same with cap rate. They're not too much different from each other. Um, We're talking 5.9 for condo, 5.4 for townhome, 5.0 for single family. But it's just kind of interesting to to see uh, the progression of of those also. And my guess as to why why it's being presented this way is that um, 
what we learned previously is that single family homes have um, most recently have had better appreciation than condos and townhomes in Colorado Springs. So I think that's why it's attributing to a lower cap rate. So the price of the asset is increasing at a faster rate than its performance in terms of the rent rate growth, because there's not a huge difference between renting a townhome and then renting a single family in terms of what you're able to command for rent. So I think that's kind of an important thing to, to acknowledge when you're, when you're evaluating these properties. Um, so in other words, rent rates are not increasing at the same rate that the purchase price is. So as a result, the single family home is appreciating, appreciating at almost at 19%, which is far outpacing the rent growth, but it's still faster than the count condo townhome appreciation of 14.1%. So I just thought that was kind of an interesting tidbit. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. And again, that's a good, I, I noticed this earlier, but this is a great, you know, as you're listening to this, uh, spend a few minutes, click the show notes and all these charts numbers are on here. So it's easy to scanning and, you know, take the high level points from what Jenny is sharing with us. And then go skim skim the show notes to get the exact numbers and see see things. Yeah, so I wanted to kind of play that out a little bit in more detail. Um, just what I've been noticing over the past year or two for what I just mentioned, the the home prices are increasing at a faster rate than rent prices. So going into a little bit more detail, rent prices increased four percent year over year from 2019 to 2020 which is higher than the 3% national average. And then home values increased on average 7% year over year of 2019 to 2020. So that's higher than the 4% national average. Um, so what does this mean? So if we take a house that was bought for $200,000 in 2019, and then we bought it for two hundred or we would, we would have to buy it for 214000 in 2020, assuming that 7% price appreciation. But if the average rent is only increasing 4% per year, um, or what was $1,200 last year, it's about $1,250 today. So it's just kind of interesting to project it out for a couple of years, where if we're looking at you know 2019, we have a, a gross rent multiplier of 13 eight. And as we kind of apply the same uh, percentage increases across the rent and the value of the property, our gross rent multiplier um, five years from now is 15.5. So the payback period is increasing with every year that passes because the rent is not rising at the same level that the, that the property values are. So I just thought that was kind of interesting to, to show. Yeah, and, and I think, sorry, can I go off on a, on a little tangent here? Please, yeah. All right. So so a couple things I want to point out here is that this is just the reality, of the, the reality of the Springs market. It's the reality of pretty much the whole front range market from Pueblo to Fort Collins. Um, this type of trend where prices are outpacing rent growth, we're seeing that from Pueblo to Springs to Denver to Fort Collins. And there's a lot of other markets around the country like this as well. So, and this is a more advanced thing you to wrap your head around on here is that number one, this is uh, you know showing a different one to make money. I like to call what the Springs market right now is going through is called like the Goldilocks phase. 
Do you guys remember when you were a little kid, you know, reading the 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 Goldilocks and I guess the fairy tale, you know, but she goes around and, you know, the porridge is too hot, porridge is too cold, then it's just right. The bed's too hard, bed's too soft, the bed's just right, and all the other things that she goes through. Same thing here, what we're seeing in the Springs market is that we're able to get a cash flowing property. So we're kind of getting the, you know, that's the main thing investors usually want to look for is, hey, cash flow. But when it comes to like really long-term wealth creation, it's really understanding that, hey, as you gain equity, and you gain equity through debt pay down, price appreciation, and adding value to the property, those are three ways you add value to the property. And the biggest return right now for a lot of what we're seeing in the Springs market is, is just through price appreciation, which Jenny has just turned out. So this is, you're gonna have a, an amazing asset that pays cash flow right now. And then think about this, what is your biggest expense on a property? It is typically your 30 year fixed mortgage. So you have your fixed mortgage, let's say $1,000 a month to make a round number, but in five years, expenses will go up, you know, taxes, insurance will go up, but so do rents go up. And so the prices, but your cash flow generally increases but if you go out five years, as Jenny is showing, and the properties increase by you know sixty thousand dollars on a two hundred thousand dollar property, it gives you options. You can continue just to keep it as a rental. You could do a cash out refinance, and I think Jenny, you've done a couple of cash out refis this year on rentals you bought a few years ago, right? That's correct. Yeah. Yep. So you can do that, or you can do another topic, which is then you know do that ten thirty one exchange. You sell the property, and then you take the equity and reinvest to go out there buy another property. So the cash out refi and 1031, similar concept, you're tapping in the equity. And there's a lot more nuance there because sometimes one is better than the other and it depends on a whole lot of variables. But this is something that like, as you look at the bigger picture and unfortunately the 1% rules and cap rates, they don't communicate this and very few topics on the internet really go into these nuances, but understand that, hey, you're buying a cash flowing asset with a high, high probability of seeing appreciation, not from speculators, not from you know silly investors buying stuff or, or lenders giving out bad loans, but from truly just lo, you know low supply, high demand. Colorado's a cool place to live. People wanna come move here. Our housing can't keep up with them. It drives prices up. So understand, hey, as you buy this asset, you have cash flow, but fast forward three years, five years, seven years, you have a lot more options where then you can tap on the equity and have a huge multiplier wealth effect. Loop things back, you know, Jenny mentioned the condo. I bought a condo like 10 years ago, um, bought it uh, a year and a half ago. I sold it, do a 1031, went from a condo, went to a fourplex. Which one's gonna make me more money in 20 years? The fourplex will. <laughs> and this is the stuff that when we, you know, that really separates us is we help clients put together an investing plan and buy properties. As people know out there, investor, you know, most agents don't know the investor world. You know, we fall and then we fall in that category we do. But then we also look at that that bigger game of, hey, how do you win at the game monopoly? And hey, as you buy these properties, you have options in three years, five years. How do we account for that? And then how do we tap in that in five years and and multiply it? So really understand these concepts, understand these numbers Jenny is throwing at you. And I'd highly recommend like really dive into more podcasts that Jenny's putting out here because it's she's gonna talk about these topics. And understanding more of these nuanced topics, riding the wave of appreciation, in my mind, and talking with lots of investors that are much more successful, much wealthier, and doing for a lot longer than I have, understanding the appreciation, I'm sorry, understanding the equity bill game, which appreciation is a big slice of the pie out here in the front range, 
understanding that is going to help you really build that that wealth down the road. Not just retire from your job, but actually help you build that that wealth. And that's the game we like to play. And that's the game we want to help, help you understand as well. Awesome. So just kind of summarizing everything that we just went over for this uh, for this topic is that single family rentals in Colorado Springs are still a really good opportunity for investors to purchase for buy and holds. However, as we just discussed, the longer you wait to buy, the more likely you will lose out to rents not increasing at the same pace as asset prices are. Um, and then again, condos, townhomes, single family homes are all seeing really large price increases, low supply. Um, so I personally, I think it's still a really great market to invest. And I mean, you're, you're actively investing in it right now, right? Yep. Yeah. I'm putting my money where my mouth is. <laughs> awesome. Um, Jenny, this was great. I took some notes. I learned a lot of stuff. I think you did a great job on, you know, on explaining the, the numbers, the market here. So, you know, for, you know, investors out there, you know, please reference the blog post for the details. Please reach out to Jenny for questions on the Springs market. She's the expert down there. But this is the stuff that we love talking about. If you're trying to figure out how to buy your first rental property or next rental property, definitely reach out. And that's what we uh, love helping people on. That's the game we play. So, Jenny, thanks so much. Thank you.